Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. of our um, Man on the Post World, cast, World, World Cup even po- podcasts. Um, me and Colin here again. Um, we're going to talk you through the fantastic semi-finals that we've just seen and um, give us our, your, our thoughts on what we think you can expect in the final. Um, right, so Colin, how you doing? Yep, not too bad. Just the two of us today, Adam. Man on man. <laughs> <laughs> It's, we have to, we're going to have to go zonal. There's not enough people to have a man on the post. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is, oh, I don't even know if it was zonal. If you can talk about the, the, I don't even think there was marking in the Brazil game. Was there? That absolutely sensational result. Germany seven, Brazil one. What are your thoughts? Well, what can you say? I mean, this is more like a game on FIFA than a proper football match. Um, but, yeah, amazing. No one thought that was going to happen. Um, what is it, Brazil's worst loss ever? Um, the first time they'd lost a game at home, in a competitive game at home in seventy year, in 30 years, wasn't it? It, it, it was madness. It, it was crazy at the start, and then it got even crazier. Absolutely. Um, I, I went to watch the game after working in a pub with, um, with my friend because I've been working late. And um, it's been a long day, obviously. And you're talking, you're not t- game's not kicking off till nine. And um, at halftime, I decided to go home. <laughs> yeah. The, the game was over. The game was over. So I made it back. So I, all I missed was the sixth goal. So uh, is in Germany's sixth goal. Yeah. So I didn't miss much. Game was dead. Um, I, it was bizarre from Brazil, wasn't it? What? What do you think is sort of were the causes of that? Do you, think, do you think it was a lot of people talking about that just too much emotion? Well, well, possibly. I mean, first things first. Maybe let's start right at the beginning. You know, there's all this hype and this adrenaline running because they've got the national anthems. And to be fair to Brazil, they give it a lot of gusto. But do you think maybe that they went a little bit over the top? There was. The holding up of the Neymar shirt, worshiping. Yeah, I saw. I saw a lot of people sort of talking about that, sort of saying like, "He's not dead." No. It was a bit. It was it, for me. It was over the top. Um, the I think there was a lot of a talk. I think we mentioned in a in our previous podcast that actually, it could be the case that the Brazilian players sort of relax from that pressure. They cut. They have some pressure taken off them because of the lack of Thiago Silva, the lack of Neymar, and maybe you get to see some other players flourish. Um, we talked about how we thought that in the the previous game against um, Colombia, Hulk had at least been better, but that just wasn't on display, was it? 
No, I mean, I, I think the plan, and I think it was planned by Brazil, was to put pressure on Germany to make them feel inferior. Oh, and they came and they came out and absolutely with a full of gusto in those first couple of minutes. Germany didn't start the game well no. for me, and they were they were not on the ropes, but they looked they looked vulnerable, and they looked like Brazil could could get at them. But for me, the 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 poorest player for me on the pitch was um, was Marcelo, and I think I personally think he's been poor all tournament, and it's been a case of I've always felt that ever since he scored that that own goal in the opening game, that since then he's been just been trying a little bit too hard, trying to force it. It felt like he's tried try to score goals. There's been a couple of times when you've seen him shoot and he just takes up some absolutely peculiar positions for someone who's supposed to be a left-back. Well, I completely agree. Um, I mean, one thing I would say is, before we get on to Germany, obviously Germany the story here, um, this had, this brought back memories to me it, this wasn't a major shock. I have seen stuff like this before. Um, it reminded me a little bit of Germany 4, England 1 in Bloemfontein, especially the second half of that match. That game looks respectable now. Well, yeah. Um, but that was a team, that England team was a team that had just sort of stopped working as a team, started to work as individuals. And it, that game was just madness and it had a little bit of that same sort of flavor i thought this game but also my team i'm a leeds united supporter i watched leeds united get an absolute demolition job done on them by sheffield wednesday six nil and and i saw a team basically give up and it was a case of how many goals um and it was exactly the same here with with, uh, brazil there was just nothing they could do no, I completely agree. They were just being torn apart at will at times, wasn't it? I, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a team defend so badly, never mind a team defend so badly in a World Cup semi-final. I think that the worst person to be on that pitch was Luis Felipe Scolari because there is nothing he can do about it. Uh, there was times that the, the, there's, I've seen some some bits back where they've been shown both clips and still photos and done some some sort of tactical analysis and you can see him going mental on the side of the pitch just absolutely furious and there's this particular picture where the the um the columnist has drawn a line where you'd sort of expect the defenders to be like where you'd expect your back four to be lining up and Marcelo's about in the middle of the pitch, halfway up. David Luiz is on the wing, on the halfway line, and you can. Just, Scolari's just got his arms in the air on the side of the pitch as Germany just tear through them one more time. Yeah, I mean, again, I mean, just just on Brazil. I mean, one thing I don't subscribe to is this overpouring of trying to make this out as being some sort of disaster for Brazil. Obviously, it's a terrible result, but this will scar the players for life. They'll never be able to get over this. They have to get rid of everybody and start again. Uh, well, Tim, exactly. Tim Vickery, the the um, much-heralded much BBC pundit, has been saying that he thinks that a lot of these players will never play for Brazil again. 
Well, I don't buy that. I, I think, okay, it's going to leave a bad taste in the mouth for quite a while, but they'll get over it. They're footballers. You know, it's, yeah, it's a bad result. Get on with it. Move on to the next one. Um, Did you not think it was almost painful to watch at times, I thought? It started to verge on that. If it, if it was a boxing match, me, it, the referee would have stopped it. Me, me, me and my, uh, my friend I was watching it with, we both prescribed to the same view. You know when you go to football games and you see those people leaving early? I'm sure you're a bit like me, Corey. Don't, just, if you're paying all that money to go, why would you ever leave early? Yeah. Yeah, so... But I genuinely... We were having a discussion saying, if that was, if that was England... And you were in that ground. Would you? Uh, I generally think I'd have had to left. Had to have left. I think it would have. Been, it would have been hurting me too much to watch it. I, I don't know. I think if you're at the ground, you know. And I, I reflect back to the Leeds United game when they got beat six nil. You do the, the same thing happened. The fans start supporting the opposition. So when you had the Olays from the Brazilian fans for Germany, it just you've got to make some fun out of it. And 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 so I think I would probably is it is it fun or is it a, a a scathing attack on your own players? Well, I think there's one of two ways you can do it. You, we all saw the tears in the crowd. You can even cry about it, or you've got to laugh about it. And I would laugh about it. I just say, well, you know, what can you do? Um, I don't. I don't think those Olays are, are, are laughing Olays. I think they're humiliating. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And you've got to feel for Fred, haven't you? He he was the brunt of it all. Exactly, and he's just doing a, t- a tactical job. It's not. I, I. The reason I feel for Fred is I don't feel like he's had three or four chances and mucks them up. I, I, I think he's been been living off scraps and doing. The the team was always built to score its goals through Neymar. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's no excuse, is it, Adam? I mean, they had Thiago Silva out, they had Neymar out. It's no excuse. That, that, that wouldn't have changed the result, I don't think. You don't think? I think. I don't think it. it well, it, I don't think it would have changed the result. I think that if Thiago Silva had been there, I don't think they'd have been losing seven-one. No, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. Yeah. But I still think that the result would have been the same. But as we said, Germany were just just fantastic, weren't they? Well, yeah, especially as you say, you rightly say, they were looking a little bit dodgy at the beginning. People forget that when you see 7-1. But they just... They just bossed the game. And and we'll come on to it when, when we look at the, the, the final and what we think is going to happen. But if you allow Germany's midfield to take control, you're in a whole world of trouble. There is no way you're going to beat them. Um, but yeah, in the end, it was just shooting practice for them, wasn't it? So much time on the ball, Brazil couldn't get it; they were chasing. So you've got to take your hat off to to all the German players. Indeed, do, do you reckon in in um, in Brazil they've been muttering the words "root and branch review"? I, I don't know. Um, the root and branch review. I hope not because it didn't really do England much good. But um, still, still going on, isn't it? Four years yeah. later. That's what I found striking about it. I did because uh, people obviously drew some comparisons between the England result because it was Germany again, and 
the, the first thing I thought, people making jokes about root, root and branch reviews and so forth. And I thought, well, that review's still going on. It's taken us four years. Germany did that after we beat them in 2001 in Munich. And if you look at their results since then, it, t- 2002, they went to the World Cup final. Mm-hmm. Now, you could say that the two, those two weren't connected, but this is certainly connected to that, that review. These performances that we've been seeing in the last the last four or so years and you just this this is a young germany team so there's a lot of space for them to grow still i think absolutely and i'll take you back to the ghana game ghana had germany on the ropes they they were 2-1 up and they were lucky to make that 2-2 and this is ghana okay ghana could have beaten germany should have beaten germany and that just shows to me, what this World Cup's all been about. I think, you know, you, you look at 7-1 and you think, well, Germany are invincible. But they had it, they, they are beatable, right? They, they had it tough against Ghana. So there's possible reasons for a little optimism, perhaps for Argentina. Indeed. And um, before we move on to the next game, we just... just should mention Miroslav Klose becoming the all-time record goal scorer in World Cups. Yeah, just just to rub salt into Brazil's wounds, overtaking Ronaldo. Yeah, I booed in the pub. Right. I was the only one. <laughs> yeah, um, well, I think, have you, did you see the graphic on, on the BBC, Colin, of where he'd scored his goals? They were all in the box, weren't they? It was better than all in the box. I think... Oh, the furthest one out was from 12 yards. It was a penalty. And I think only two of them were not from inside the width of the goalposts. That is it. it Gary Lineker was, must have been really proud showing that off. Well, yeah, f- fair play to him. I mean, that, that's what he does. That's his job. And he does it really well. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. And um, <clears throat> as Collins already alluded to, uh, the second finalist will be Argentina. They beat um, Holland um, after um, a nil-nil in the second semi-final, winning 4-2 on penalties. Um, so it, it was a very um, absorbing game, but it was very. I felt, I felt that the game was very tactical, but there wasn't a lot of um, incident. What did you think, Colin? I'd agree. Um, I always thought this was going to be a cagey affair after the Brazil-Germany match. Um, and I always thought they were going to play both teams sort of on the counter. So possibly in 90 minutes, one goal. If you got one goal, that might nick it. Um, but as the game went on, you could tell this is going to go on and on and on. And especially into extra time. You know, they could have just cut straight to penalties. I, I said that to my, I was watching the game around, around, a, around a friend's house, and I said they should just be allowed to go to both the captains. And if both captains agree, we just the referee just we both go to penalties. We just go penalties because neither team wanted that extra time. No, I mean, I'm not saying the players didn't try. I'm probably saying some of them didn't go, weren't 100 percent at it. They didn't want to make mistakes rather than 
go attacking and potentially create holes in their formation and then the other team could get in. So it was a bit of a stalemate. Yeah, it was just it was very much a case of them having too much to lose, wasn't it, I felt. Um, but you could see that Holland were, were working to, to shut down Messi and Argentina were working to shut down Arjen Robin. And they were doing that. I felt both teams were trying to do that at the expense of, of some of their create create creativity and some of their um their their forward ambition. Well we, we see it in the Premier League, don't we Adam? You know, two top teams will play each other and you know that both teams go into that game thinking happy to get a draw out of this. Do you mean a top team plays Chelsea? That's more accurate, isn't it? Well yeah. Um they'd rather get a draw than go all out to, to get the win at the you know, with the, the the negative side of they could possibly lose it. Um, just just one highlight for me was um, Ron Vlaar, Aston Villa's concrete Ron. Um, I thought he was exceptional. Um, we'll come on to the penalties later, but I thought he was um, he was he stood out in that game. Yeah, he, I thought he, I thought he had a fantastic game. Um, and for for Argentina, I would have said the same about, about um, Javier Mascherano. Yeah, you could argue he was man of the match, really, couldn't you? I thought he had a, he had a fantastic game for them in in midfield, and um, as as you already alluded to, talking about about Germany's midfield, I think he's going to be very important for Argentina. I'd agree with that. Um, so then. Like, pen- there wasn't really many many incidents, was there? Was not. Well, what I would say is, I just I know he he came off um, towards the end of the game, but apart from in the Spain game, Robin van Persie's been very disappointing for me. Apparently, he's been getting a little bit of stick from the Holland fans. Um, I'm not sure that's deserved. Um. But I think one of the things I pick up from Holland is I do think at times Robin is far too greedy. And sometimes the, the attacking players around him suffer as a result. But, yeah, he's... he's... I think I think as a generalisation, that's a, a, a fair comment to make. But for me, Robin's been one of the players of the tournament. Oh, I'd, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, there's every argument uh, that, that he's the player to, to make it happen. That's like saying that... For me, that would be like accusing Neymar or Messi of being too greedy for Brazil or Argentina. That's, that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, Robin van Persie, I, I guess you could probably sum up his World Cup. He's he's got that little bit of the Wayne Rooney's about him. You know, a lot of huff and puff, I've, but there's there's always never sort of anything prolific comes out of it. I don't think Wayne. I don't think van Persie has a a very good record in tournaments either. In, in tournament, tournament, international tournament football, I don't think is his his forte. So that that, that does marry up to Wayne really quite mm. well. Um. So yeah, the penalties. Well, am I right in thinking that Louis Van Gaal has said that nobody wanted to take the first penalty? Um, I I thought he said that he asked two players in particular to take the first penalty. And they refused. And who were they? Do we know? He didn't name the names, no. But that leaves the question as to whether he asked two players 
to take penalties and they said to take the first penalty and they said no so they didn't take them or whether he asked Robin or he asked Schneider and they said I'd rather not go first I think perhaps the first goal scorer is meant to be Van Persie that in, in a, a normal penalty shootout if everybody was on the pitch Van Persie would take number one and uh, who took the second was it Robin yes it was Robin wasn't it yeah and then Schneider took the fourth didn't he yeah, and I think no, the third, third, third and, and, and I think they had their set position. So Robin knew he was number two, Schneider knew he was number three, and neither of them wanted to change that. Um, that was my thinking. So probably out of nowhere, Ron Vlaar's been he's had a great game. He's probably volunteered to take it. Well, I, I think, and I, I can completely agree with his logic. I think that actually, um, Van Gogh asked. Ron Vlaar to take it after the other the, these two players in question turned it down because he thought that he'd had a great game and he was full of confidence and I think there's a there's a lot of fe- a lot of logic to that that seems fair enough but it wasn't a great penalty not at all I'll share with you a story I was listening to an interview with Stuart Pearce and he was reminiscing on his uh, England under 21s days and uh, he said that you can practice penalties and he did. And he had a record of 1 to 23, if you like, of all his penalty takers. And, uh, for example, he said that Joe Hart was his second best penalty taker. And it was in a match. um, And I think it went into extra time on penalties. And I think all 11 had to take a shot. But Rio Coca was the captain. And he went straight up to Stuart Pearce at the start of the penalties and said, I'll take one. And Stuart Pearce says, no, thanks very much, but no, you won't. Um, because his record was the poorest in penalties. And he volunteered because he was a captain and he wanted to take one. And I think that's where a manager has to step in and say, no, I say who takes the penalties. You listen to me. You don't have a choice in this. And maybe that was an error on Louis van Gaal's judgment. Well, so you think he should have just, if one of these players, he just should have said, no, you're taking it? Yeah, I'd have said to Robin, right, you're, you're number one, that's it. But we don't know, I see that, but we don't know whether it's a case of Robin not wanting to go first or whether it's a different player entirely who just said, no, I don't want to take a penalty. Maybe they sort of have this mentality where they have their order and so... Van Gaal decided that the order sticks, but if I need to get... So if my number one penalty taker isn't in, I need another person to take number one. Yeah. It's difficult because you don't... We, you, never, you don't know the internal workings of a team. You don't know how much they've practised, what their, how their mentality is for approaching it. But what I did think was that, as well, when you're talking about Van Gaal's decisions... Um, never before in I think in a penalty shootout have I ever seen the camera so fixated on a substitute goalkeeper yeah and Sillison the record the the commentator announced that that Sillison's never saved a penalty in his professional career and I I thought it's, it's difficult to blame a goalkeeper but in a penalty shootout but once you get your hand to the ball you must be expecting to save it and he did that at least once, where he tipped it onto the bar and it still went in. 
Yeah. So, and here's a really crazy point. This this is on YouTube. I'm sure you can see it. I don't know if you heard about this, but Ron Vlaar's penalty almost went in. Have you seen this? I have, I have, yeah. But isn't the isn't there the fact that it didn't cross the line, and also it might have touched Ron Vlaar on the way back? Yes, it might have touched him. So, so he's taken the shot. The shot's been saved. The goalkeeper's celebrating. For for this is for people who haven't seen it. And the ball starts to roll back towards a goal. And as you say, it doesn't cross the line, but it hits the line. It gets very close to the line. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Ron Vlaar is sort of looking, thinking, oh, has it? Um, but can you imagine if that went? He makes, a, he makes a sort of a half-hearted appeal to the referee, doesn't he? Mm. But yeah, that would have been... <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would have been funny. But um, So yeah, that was a... Again, you don't know whether it's a case of sort of Sillerson having his having his confidence crushed, or from the from the Tim Krul decision earlier on, or whether it's simply a case that he just isn't as good. But you have to when you're already into sort of that that late extra time period and teams aren't looking to score goals, you have to wonder whether bringing Huntelaar on for Van Persie was would have been was beneficial or whether he should have waited out and repeated the trick again with Tom Cruel. Oh, Tim Cruel, sorry. Yeah, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. But maybe he just thought Huntelaar could just nick that goal in extra time. Um, possibly that was his thinking behind putting him on for Van Persie. Who knows? So, so now, uh, as, as we're recording tonight, we've got the... Um, the third place playoff, which is Brazil versus Holland. Um, it's difficult to get excited for this game, isn't it? Uh, Louis van Gaal's already come out saying the game's a waste of time. Who cares? I imagine I imagine the Brazilian players are scared for their own safety to take the pitch. Um, what are your thoughts, Colin? <laughs> Apart from who cares? I, I can't. See, I I would actually predict a Brazil win. I don't think it's going to be a good game. The only reason I agree with you yeah. is because there's at least something in it for them. There's nothing in it for Holland. A bit of pride, isn't there? There's a bit of pride there. Holland aren't going to go in for 50-50 challenges. They're not going to make any potentially injury-threatening tackles or anything like that because they've got the the next season to look 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 forward to um, they don't want to get injured in this match um, especially some of those players who have have Im- improved their reputation this World Cup some of those players who maybe only play for the smaller teams like like Feyenoord as we mentioned in in the beginning of the, the World Cup they've 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 perhaps got got their eye on a move or I would have thought that they might have an agenda yeah yeah I mean for Holland, this is probably like a, an international friendly match um, where the result doesn't matter. Um, nobody remembers who finishes third. Um, it's almost sort of like a prize you don't really want. Um, so for that reason alone, yeah, there's a little bit of something in there for Brazil. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd, I'd predict a Brazil win, but I, I wouldn't be at all confident. No, the the interesting thing for me would just be that what teams get put out. 
whether you see one of those situations almost like England's game against Costa Rica where p- players are given a chance or I, I part of me thinks that you we, we won't see that from Brazil because Scolari will want to let let some of those players redeem themselves perhaps but it's difficult to get into the mentality of the coaches in this point especially when you've already got one of them coming out saying they don't care well we, we already know Louis van Gaal is, is going um, I presume Adam Scolari is going to be gone as I'd, you'd imagine so. You'd imagine you? so. So that's a weird thing in a result, in, in a way, because you've got a game where both managers, to be all, you know, to all intents and purposes, don't really care because they're not going to be there anymore. Um, so, you know, how, how much research and effort will they have been putting into this game? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to make for a great spectacle. No, and also to kind of link the two together now as we move on to the final, I think that Brazil have the advantage of having played a game, not only having played a day earlier, but also Argentina have had to, um, Holland, sorry, have had to go through the, the rigmarole of extra time and penalties a, a day later as well. Yeah, and it all, it all makes a difference, doesn't it? And I think that well, as we move on now to talk about the final, I think that uh, for me that could play a big part in the Germany-Argentina game. Germany have only played football for, for 30 minutes. Really? It became, it, it, was, it became a training exercise after that, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. They could drop, they could drop their intensity, they could make substitutions. Um, me and my friend in the pub were making jokes about what, what you'd do, whether you'd bring on whether you'd let Neuer go and play out on field, all the sort of things you could do, just almost rubbing salt in the wounds. But you, Germany really had the opportunity to rest players up. And Argentina have got a day less to recover. have played at least 30 minutes more football, but you could argue a whole 90 minutes more football. And you have to wonder in these short sort of turnarounds whether that's really going to have an effect, especially as you come to the end of a, a long, a longer tournament where players have played, was it six, six games and in, in short periods of time, really, do, do they, I don't think they ever really have more than, than four days between a game. Yeah. But, you know, just, just on the, praising Germany on this, they've not had it easy either. They're, they've had a lot of traveling to do. And I thought that would hurt them. But they've they've dealt with it really really well. Well, the interesting thing is that when they were in the Confederations Cup, when their um, technical direct national technical director Oliver Bierhoff was watching the the Confederations Cup, he said that because of the travelling and because of the heat, it would be nearly impossible for a European team to win the win the World Cup. I mean, and, and when you're talking about Germany at that time with a the four favourites by the bookmakers, the second favourite European team, and their own national director was saying he thought it was it would be nearly impossible. But also, in part because of the draw that Germany had, I think that that, that says a lot about what they've managed to overcome. I I reckon Germany have even, have even surprised themselves. I, I reckon they've found in this tournament a system that works. 
Um, and Adam, you tell me it. You know, if you were putting a bet on this game, would there be any circumstances under which you would say, "Hmm, I might put it on Argentina." I mean, would you? I mean, what's going to be the turning point for Argentina? Is 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 Messi going to deliver something brilliant? Who knows? I think he's been poor. That's the only. That's the only thing you can see happening, isn't it? For me, yeah. Because a lot of talk about Argentina as he came into this World Cup was about their firepower up front, and that's not just. That wasn't just seen as being messy. That was seen as being the, the trio of um, Gonzalo Higuain and Sergio Aguero alongside Leo Messi. And to be honest, on the whole, the, the other two have been poor, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, I mean, for Argentina, if I was the Argentinian manager, the only chance I would give Argentina is if they flood the midfield. So they're going to automatically have to sort of change their mentality and change the way they play, or else I think they could get absolutely demolished again by Germany. Um, if if that German midfield and you allow them to attack, if if you let them take control, that's it. It's game over. Um, and I think, and I think. Oh, sorry, Colin, no, I was just going to say, if Germany get the first goal, then Argentina are going to have to change their system. They're going to have to go very attacking, and that's just going to make more holes in in the Argentinian lineup. And then it's going to be potentially a field day for Germany. So I think whoever gets the first goal is going to be massively important. And if Germany get it, I think that's game over. Yeah, it's difficult to argue with that. I think that it's. It, It'll be key, and I think for Argentina, and I think it's very unlikely that um, Angel Di Maria plays. I think when you're talking about flooding the midfield, he's he's the one who's able to bring that energy to the midfield, to get to give them that drive to 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 um, to bring that mobility. And I think that I think I think it's unlikely we'll see him, and I think he, Argentina will sorely miss him. Yeah, I mean the the problem is you've got so many goal scorers in that German team. You've got there's so many threats. So if you if you cancel out one, there's still somebody else to worry about. So it's one job to sort of try and keep Thomas Muller quiet, but if you do that, when you try and take him out of the game, there's others who can take his place. It'll be. It will also be interesting to see what sort of um, how how this is the um, the teams are deployed in terms of what Joachim Love does. Whether it's, if you look at the, the Germany that started in the first game against Portugal to the one that played against Brazil, when you've got he's moved Philip Lahm back to his his original position as fullback. He's he went from having Thomas Muller as a false nine and has moved to a, a proper centre forward in closer. Whether He'll stick with both of those ideals, or uh, part of me wonders whether he might revert back to not with keep Lam at fullback. I think he's got to keep Lam at fullback. I think they look a different team when Kadir is playing in that midfield with with Schweinsteiger. But uh, I'd be part of me would be surprised to see closer play start start the game again. What do you think? To, to be honest, it's, it's 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 that's a difficult question for me, Adam. Because I'll say it, I've said it right from the, off from these podcasts. I didn't rate Germany. Okay, so egg on my face. 
So um, I can't really predict what Germany are going to do. And I'm not entirely sure it really matters because I think they've got enough. You think they're too good no matter what happens? Yes. And just a question. I I don't know the contract situation with Joachim Löw, but if you were Joachim Löw and you've just won the World Cup, there's not a huge amount more you can do, is there, in your career? Do you you think... I'm not not fully up with him, but I thought that he might have been leaving anyway. Mm. I'm fairly sure he might have have called time on it because he's been part of that Germany setup since he, he was... Obviously, young Klingsman's assistant in 2006. So he, he's been there a long time in, in one capacity or another for Germany because he took over from Klingsman after he left in 2006. So we were talking about an, an eight year period now where he's been the national manager. Yeah, that was that's what I was trying to get at. Is, is it time for him to move on and maybe prove himself as a team manager? Well, I think, it, I think that in terms of the German Federation, the German people and, and Joachim Love, I think that it would be looked at in... in the, the, you'd be the same result would be looked at in different ways depending on how, how the game goes out. I think that if they, they win the World Cup, as you said, it's sort of a, a mission accomplished. Um, you've done done your bit, now Now I'm going to leave you. Um, someone else can come maybe take, take this group or maybe you can achieve even even greater things. I think that if they were to fail again, that's exactly what it would be seen as. It would be seen as Joachim Love sort of being a nearly man who can, can get you nearly there but will fall at the last hurdle. And as such, that maybe you'll hear, if he wasn't to go already, which I still think is the case, you'd have heard people maybe saying it's time we, we tried someone else who had a bit more of a, a killer instinct and a, a finishing mentality. Yeah, and he's... His value must be high. I mean, and I'm sure that if he got like, uh, I'm not, sh- I'm not sure he'd go to the Premier League. But if he, if he, if he went to the Premier League with a big club, he'd, he'd certainly get a pay rise. Um, you can understand why someone like Roy Hodgson, he's got a job to do. He, he's had several phases. He's got another phase, right? Do well in the Euros. For Joachim Löw, how much um, enthusiasm is he gonna? have to do it all over again he's won the world cup well he's won if he wins the world cup he's he's done it all hasn't he really at international level that that freudian slip yeah feels like it might be that might be the reason i might back on argentina now <laughs> well yeah i i can i completely agree with you i think that that's the case and we'll have to wait and see how that that goes really when Obviously, we were, everyone's excited. It, the, the biggest sporting event in the world is on, on our TVs tomorrow night. Yep. It's going to be a good one. Hopefully so. And I think the rest of us are just... The, the, there's the, you also have that same sort of tinge of sadness at the World Cups, Cups fight coming to an end. And I'd just like to say, Adam, as well, what a great World Cup it's been. Um, yeah, absolutely fantastic. Tom mentioned this in one of our previous podcasts is that it's been completely open um, obviously now Germany are appearing as favourites but you wouldn't have said that necessarily at the start of the competition I think Brazil were favourites um, but it's just been different this time round it seems like a proper World Cup and I think 
we'll go back in time and this will be heralded as one of the better ones. As the World Cup also draws to a close, we've also got a couple of events happening in club football. Obviously, the season never really ends there. There's always something going on. And it's finally happened. I don't think any of us were shocked, especially a day, I think it took a, a day after his his um, appeal against his four-month ban was rejected. Barcelona pulled the trigger and 75 million euros later, Luis Suarez is now a Barcelona player. What are your thoughts, Colin? How does this affect Liverpool? Do you think he's worth the price? Well, in terms of the price, we're looking at, is it 75 million pounds? Yeah, 75 million euros. 75 million euros. So, so what's that, about 60 65 yeah 60-65 million euros a pound something like that yeah right? um, well it's, it's good money for Liverpool um, I think so for a player who's 27-28 who's I think he had to go didn't he and, and I don't think there would have been too much resistance from Liverpool to try and keep him um, I think he would have had a tough time in the Premier League I think people would have got at him um, it would, I think he would have had a tough time in the media as well. Um, and maybe he just wanted a change. I mean, but my major question would, would be back to you, Adam. And because you know your Spanish football, um, how good will he be for Barcelona? I mean, is, it, is he the right player for Barcelona? I mean, it's not like they haven't got talent there already. I, I I don't yeah for me I don't think he is the right player for Barcelona I thought he would have been a perfect fit for Real Madrid but they they weren't interested or at least if they were interested they were very quickly blown out of the water by Barcelona I think it's a strange move to sign a player who who can't play until for four months when is it is it the end of September he's able to to play for to start with, I lose, lost track of time, but that I, that seems slightly disruptive to me when you've got to, because he when you've got a player who you've paid seventy five million euros for, he's going to be one of your main men, and you're going to have players in that first eleven who know, no matter how well they perform, that they're going to lose their place come the end of the band to Luis Suarez. Yeah, and that's harsh, isn't it? That's it's, it's, it seems destabilising to me. But I, I, do, I do think it's interesting that a team who are supposedly banned from any transfer activity have signed a player who's banned from play, any football activity. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it turns out. Um, I think it's a shame that he's left the Premier League. I think it's going to leave a bit of a void. But I'm sure that someone will come in and take it. I think someone's already come in and taken it, Colin. I think he's moved straight from to help fund the deal Barcelona have sold for. Was it? I don't know if this was in euros or pounds. Was it 35 million pounds for Alexis Sanchez to Arsenal? Yeah, who for me is a fantastic player. I think he's he's one of the players who's lit up the World Cup. Was was brilliant for Chile, and I think Arsenal have got a great player there. So tell me a little bit about him. I mean, is he an out-and-out forward player or...? 
he's definitely a forward player. I think that he could, he predominantly for Barcelona he played on the right wing, but he could probably play on either wing. And for Chile, he played as a uh, um, a support striker, a, a, a second striker, maybe a number ten, if you will, who could float in behind. So I think that it gives it gives Wenger some some tactical options to he can deploy him in different positions. I wouldn't be surprised if you saw him play him through the centre occasionally in place of Giroud and almost as, as this heralded sort of a, a false nine-esque. But also he could play on, on either wing. And I think that... Uh, so Speaking to some of my Arsenal fans, I don't agree. I think it, is, it, it signals bad news for Alexis... Um, not for Alexis Sanchez, for um, Santi Cazorla. Mm-hmm. I personally can't see where he gets his place in the team. But I think it's a, a, a fantastic move, and I think that the Premier League will be loving him very quickly. Arsenal seem to be doing some good business, don't they? They they do, yeah. They they could be. I, I mean, Arsene Wenger maybe he could be a bit of a magician. He, he, they're they're looking strong. I mean, if you, I, yeah, I agree, Colin. I know it's a bit of an American term, but if you look at their roster, especially their attacking players, you know, obviously Permit Saka in defence always gets a little bit of stick because it's slow. But if you look at their attacking lineup, I mean, it's pretty immense. And and as you say, the thing is, you're right. We don't, and I'm as guilty as this as anyone, but we don't give their their defensive players the respect they deserve. But no. And maybe that's because as players, maybe maybe as players, they don't necessarily deserve a huge amount of respect. But as, as anyone will tell you, that teams defend as units. And as a defensive unit, that they are, are a solid one. Absolutely. And I think it'll be interesting to see where... As, I, I don't believe they've completed it yet, but the, the signing of um, Debushi from Newcastle seems like... That's just a matter of time until until that comes through, and he was playing ahead of Sanya in the the France World Cup squad. So is is that you could say it's a replacement? You could say it's an improvement. It could be very happy times for you Arsenal fans who are listening. And um, what other transfer moves have we had? There was more sort of there was a a, ma- a very big rumor going around yesterday that Di Maria was close to completing a move to Manchester United. But it seems strange to me one because I learnt of that news when I was listening to, to the TMS on the radio, which isn't the place you expect to be breaking transfer news. And secondly, because he's two days away from a World Cup final that. Although I said I don't think he, he he's going to play. I'm sure he's desperate to try and prove his fitness and get himself there. Do you really think that's the time that he's going to be completing transfer moves? It didn't didn't seem right to me. Yeah, well, the, the rumours seem to suggest it's going to be a £40 million deal, there or thereabouts, possibly 35 And uh, he's going to be offered a £150,000 a week contract, which would mean... Before tax, he makes a nice, cool seven point eight million pounds a year. Well, and I've had, I've seen, heard um, comments on the radio and seen tweets from 
both Guillaume Balaguer and um, Graham Hunter, who are two well-respected journalists in Spain, saying that Graham Hunter was suggesting that, that Di Maria could, could leave because um, Real Madrid are interested in signing the, one of the other stars of the World Cup, James Rodriguez from Monaco, and they would use Di Maria to try and finance the move, which um, sounds like a very Real Madrid thing to do, just buy the best player of the World Cup. Um, and some of the comments that have been attributed to Rodriguez on Twitter today have suggested that that he would he would be interested in a move to Madrid. So that that seems like it's a a real possibility to me. Um, Balague came out saying that Di Maria's gone to Madrid and said he wants to move, and they've said, "Okay, bring us a bring us an offer, a big a big offer." And Madrid and PSG, um, not Madrid, Manchester United and PSG are both interested, but neither of them have bought them the seventy million euro offer that they were after. Um, but uh, so I, I think for me, it's just a case of negotiations, and once negotiations are in place, Di Maria will be leaving Real Madrid, and I, I think it'd be an exciting addition to the Premier League. For sure, and it's already starting to, to, to bubble up, isn't it? The excitement for the start of the season. Transfers going through. It's great. And it's going to be a bit like a game of chess, I think, on which of the top teams get which of the best, best players. Um, so, Well, Manchester United, talking about Manchester United, they've also been, been heavily linked with moves for, um, for another Chilean in um, Vidal from Juventus. Now, if they do that, I've, they've become a... They've gone from where they were to straight back to being a contender again for me. Well, yeah, and, and the other thing is, we saw it with Liverpool, didn't we, this season? Okay, you wouldn't want it in an ideal world, but they're not going to be playing in the Champions League. So, there's there's less games to deal with. Could that help Manchester United? And they're going to have Louis van Gaal there as well. Um You'd think he's going to be a hell of a lot better than Moyes. Um, so, yeah, it could be good times for Manchester United, but I think they've still got a long way to come. I think what's interesting, what you said there, Colin, is, is the link between those two things as well. The fact that it's going to be Van Gaal's first season at Manchester United and he's going to have that extra time to work with the team, especially in those early those early months in sort of like September, October, when the other teams are going to be playing Champions League football, playing on two games a week he will have that time to work with his squad and and get the, and sort of get his tactical ideas across and, and one other while we're on Manchester United Adam you're an Everton fan uh, you guys have been closely linked with Tom Cleverley is that something you would like to happen that's something I'd love to happen I think Tom Cleverley is a, a great player I think I think he'd fit in brilliantly in, in, in our in an Everton squad playing with Martinez, I think he's. Um, I don't think he's. I don't think he's a special player, but I think he's a, a good midfield cog, and he he works very well. And for, for me, I'd, there's no difference between Tom Cleverley and Joe Allen, but Joe Allen's rated by some as this brilliant passing midfield player, and Tom Cleverley is this guy who. Thousands of people will sign petitions for, but asking him not to play at the World Cup. 
Yes, that was very harsh, wasn't it? But um, yeah, be interesting to see if that actually comes off. And of course, you've signed Gareth Barry as well. Yep, that was on a. It, I did. I wasn't sure whether we, that move was going to get done because um, it came out that we actually had a clause in our loan agreement last season with Manchester City that if we signed Gareth Barry on a free transfer, we would have had to pay them. I, I believe it was two or three million pounds as part of the loan deal because effectively because they've loaned into us that season we we have effectively signed him a season earlier haven't we um, so th- that makes sense I was unsure whether we'd pay the money but yeah well, as long as he can can carry on bringing the performances that, that seems like a good bit of business to me he was a very important player for us last season um, I'm sure everyone will have their eyes glued on the um on on the, on their televisions, probably less so tonight, more so tomorrow night. I hope you're listening to this before that, so we don't sound so stupid when Argentina clearly win the game. But um, I just hope, I hope you all have enjoyed listening to that, and you enjoy the the World Cup, the rest of the World Cup to come. And we'll be with you shortly after the final, I imagine, to give you our our um, assessment on what happened. And I'm sure we'll be doing. Um, a review of some kind of the tournament as a whole. So um, we hope you look forward to that and um, you keep, keep the eyes posted on Twitter at man on the post where you'll be able to, to find any sort of news on any new, new shows that are out and any other random feelings that pop into some people's heads. And um, Colin, do you want to talk quickly about your, your article? Yeah, there's, there's an article on man on the post.com. Uh, please take a look. Uh, it's not just related to Leeds United, it's related to the whole football family. Um, and it's about a guy called David Haig, who is, to all intents and purposes, banged up in a Dubai jail. And he hasn't been given a voice. Um, he used to be the managing director of Leeds United. Um, and I've created an e-petition, um, a government e-petition. And I'm looking for signatures to help give him a voice, to help intervention from the British government to, to help him out because as it currently stands is between a rock and hard place and uh, he needs to be helped so if you'd like to look at the article you can see all the links to the e-petition there um, if you do want to sign that's fantastic so yeah please check it out manonthepost.com so yeah um, head over to the to the website get get on that article we'll sign Collins petition and um, enjoy the World Cup final. Other than that, um, yeah, well, thank you very much, Colin. Thanks, Adam. No worries. And always remember to have your man on the post.